This episode of Nexus Portland is brought to you by Hannah Ferguson. Thank you so much. Bonjour. Why is Beaker introducing the show again? <laughs> yeah, you're right. I need to get a little bit more bass on that. Wait, no, that's more Grover. Don't go too far. You'll be Yoda. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. And I'm Stephen. And you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. Julia Child impersonation. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Does anybody else think that an iPad sounds like something inexplicable from those sinister sounding heavy days commercials? Because I don't know what feminine protection is, but I'm pretty sure it's not a chartreuse flamethrower. And the Plutonian loses his cool. Kilowatt finds his smile. The Marvel Universe gets a fresh coat of paint. Surfing the tidal wave, creating nanobots, or locating Frankenstein's brain. Join the Major Spoilers crew as they wake up in a new morning where the sun is shining. It's a new morning, but then... Dun, dun, dun! Hey, everyone. Welcome to another issue of the Major Spoilers podcast. So glad to have you here. Dun, 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 dun. You will never hear the end of that this episode, I guarantee you, as we will now be I talking about the prisoner, uh, shattered visage, visage later in the show. Of course, our Julia Ch- Child impressions go out to Adriana Ferguson for donating this week. Thank you so much for that. Is she any relation to Craig Ferguson? I don't know. We'll have to ask or, her the next time she's on the show, or maybe she'll answer uh, it in her own Super Future Friends podcast. Check it out. On the iTunes. Uh, kind of an exciting week, I guess. We got a couple of uh, big news items since our last conversation. We've got... <laughs> we're gonna This week in the news, we've got critical hit reactions. We've got iPad, crazy name, cool product. New DC rings announced. Kilog, Kilowog concept art revealed. And Marvel announces the hero age. And we're going to spin that magic wheel of destiny... Let it turn, turn, turn. Finding the lesson that we must learn on number two, the iPad. Gentlemen, iPad release. Steve Jobs announced this last Wednesday. Came out with this new, it's a 10-inch device. It's really, look. it looks like a big fat iPod. Okay. I don't want to know about Steve Jobs' big fat 10-inch device. I think it's a rather cool product. I'm excited to buy it. Not And people say that, oh, you're just a Mac lover. Well, Rodrigo's been to the house. He knows that we've got Macs and PCs scattered throughout the house. Mm-hmm. Um, Wrong! I've got, I've got just this hankering to buy me an, an iPad because I really want to see how this is going to change digital comics and how people read digital comics. Now, granted, a 9.75-inch diagonal screen is not the same size as a comic book, which is a 12-inch diagonal. But it's pretty darn close, and you're not going to have to do a lot of zooming or scrunching or squeezing to read a comic book like you would on the iPod. And so that's the main reason why I'm excited about the iPad. Plus, it just gives me another way to consume my entertainment uh, that's not on my laptop and is not on a little tiny screen on my on my iPod Touch. 
What do you guys think of this big announcement? Wrong. Digital comics are just a niche market within a niche market <laughs> reserved for technophiliac gadget nerds like you. It's really great when, when Otter writes the script for us, isn't it? <laughs> I don't necessarily have a problem with it. Um, one of the, the major issues that I will run into in, in what we do. Yeah, I know. I almost did it. I was gonna, and then I said, no, wait. You were gonna do because what? I was gonna say one of the things, but Whoa! I didn't want to. I didn't want the people <laughs> playing the major spoilers drinking game to get plastered before we get out of the news. <laughs> Ah, it's good bourbon, by the way. You um, were saying. I was saying, one of the things... Ah, uh, no, twice. An issue that comes up for me when I'm reading comics digitally Devil is Dinosaur that... number five? Yeah, well, that too. Um, I actually read uh, this week's uh, trade paperback review in a digital form. Yeah. Um, the screen. I don't know what my screen is. I think it's like 18 by 9 or some such. Mm-hmm. But it's not formatted to comfortably read a comic. So if right. I, let's say I set the format to show the whole page, mm-hmm. I'll set it, you know, I zoom it to full page. Well, I can't necessarily read the dialogue, especially not small blocks of print. Right. But scrolling up and down a page also kind of, you know, takes away from it. And if it's a two-page spread, you know, perish forbid, I have any idea what's going on in a double-page spread. So, uh, you know, something that's formatted to where I can read my digital books my digital comic books in a fashion that allows me to actually, you know, show the pages, I think will be a good thing. Well, and that's why I said that if it were a bigger, if it were a bigger format, a bigger screen, it would be Mm -hmm. near on. But, you know, I measured a bunch of books around the house. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've got that Tintin collection, the um, little graphic sized novels. Is that the one where she stabbed the girl in the alleyway and then killed Eric Draven? Yes, exactly. Um, Okay. That is just, those are 10 inches, so that's still a little bit too large for the, to be a, an exact copy onto the iPad. But, you know, a Dark Horse with that Indiana Jones omnibus that they've put out, that's exactly the same size as the iPad screen will be. And I didn't really have a big problem trying to read those big, you know, those big pages shrunk down to that size. So you might find, Matthew, that it, it actually works for you. I agree with you on that double page spread, though. Fortunately, you could probably turn it sideways. That's going to shrink everything down a little smaller. Um, but, you know, that's, I guess that's a compromise. I guess that's a cutout or a cop out or whatever that we'll have to deal with in this generation of the iPad. That's definitely a possibility. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I really, go ahead. I feel like a lot of, a lot of what, uh, Otter disaster put in my mouth during the uh, <laughs> speaking of big ten major now, spoiler adventures. You can find it every Friday. Yeah. yeah, a lot of those those points are still there. I mean, collectability is a factor, and I think collectability will continue to be a factor. I like reading books digitally. Mm-hmm. I would like to be able to you know purchase say say a book like well, I don't know something that's on my marginal reading list that I enjoy but don't love say like a spider woman or maybe a title like amazing spider-man presents jackpot that i'm not sure i want to read mm-hmm. instead of paying four dollars for that issue maybe i pay a buck 99 for an itunes download i read it and i go oh well i do like this maybe i'm going to buy the rest of the issues in you know the original form mm-hmm. certainly some titles so I, like archie have succeeded in that way and same way with atomic robo have both had some like number one rankings on itunes uh, app store because of 
their availability on the iPod and getting some other people to try it out. And if I you think, look at Atomic Robo, they actually format the book. Yeah, uh, in, a, in a very cool way. Yeah, and, yeah. and that makes it easier. So if, um, obviously, I think to a large extent, Apple doesn't care. You know, they're going to market the iPad, and if comic books hop on or they don't, then, you know, it's probably no skin off their noses. But if the uh, comic book companies are smart, they'll start, you know, putting out some books that can be uh, seen in both, you know, the the normal 12-inch across comic book format and 10-inch across comic mm-hmm. book format, and mm-hmm. it can be done. Yeah, mm-hmm. and really reading Atomic Robo on the uh, iPod or the iPhone is really a cool experience because it's almost animated mm-hmm. that follows the word balloons that moves around the page that reveals things. So like at one point, if Atomic Robo is looking off in the distance, you might have like a close up of Atomic Robo looking and then you tap the screen and it'll kind of zoom out to show you, you know, the vast Vista or whatever that he's looking at is really, <clears throat> really cool. Um, I think I used to live in vast Vista. Yes, you did. It was right next to Buena Vista. Um, yeah. so I, I just, I'm really excited about the iPad. In fact, I just did an interview earlier tonight with, uh, Scott Johnson, uh, from my extra life for his podcast app slappy, uh, to just talk about the iPad. You can hear that over at his show. Of course, uh, my good friend, Charlie White and I had a huge breakdown of, of iPad love last week on the coolness roundup. So you can hear some more thoughts on the technical side of that and what some of the complaints are. But I was just curious to see what you guys thought of it in terms of, um, you know, of digital comics or just even your own use. I think you may want to pick up a couple of those names that you just dropped. Yeah, um, of course I will. Scott <laughs> Johnson. Um, <laughs> I think. I went to I grade school with a Scott Johnson. It, it, it really depends on content. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know who is currently developing content for the iPad, but you know, I mean, it's, if, if a bunch of people come out with cool content for it, mm-hmm. then it'll it, it's probably a robust enough uh, device that it'll probably survive. Oh yeah, but I, I mean, think that's going to be important. If nobody's making stuff for it, then it's just going to fall apart. Out of the box, it already has one hundred and forty-four thousand apps because everything on the App Store right now that runs on the iPod will run on the iPad. Yeah, but that's also important if it can just be done on the, on an iPod and it, you know, maybe even. Is is built to work for an iPod? Then that's an issue. You know what? Yeah. How many things are going to be iPad specific, or are going to be better on an iPad? We will find out in fifty-two days and counting. Woo. I think my greatest worry is I'm not a Luddite by any means, but right now I have a cell phone which does lots of cool things. Yeah. I have my laptop. I still have a desktop system. I have, you know, all the things that I use at work and the systems that interact with my cell phone and interact with my laptop and a satellite radio in the truck. And I'm just like, my God, how many devices am I going to need? Right. So, you know, an iPad will be interesting if it's universal enough to where I don't have an iPad or I don't have to have my disc player and my Blu-ray player. If it turns into format wars, I'm out. Well, obviously, there's not going to be a format war. It'll be rip your, you know, most of the uh, Blu-ray movies that you get now come with that digital copy. And so you'll just be able to transfer that right over to your iPad and watch it on your iPad while you tool down the highway uh, or yeah, download a movie directly to your iPad if you want as well. Everything. I, you know, your daughter is a little bit older, Matthew, and she probably knows all about how to click a mouse and move around the screen. Uh, my son is not quite up to that speed of, 
being able to easily control the the mouse and the cursor at the same time. So I'm just curious to see what his reaction is going to be because he already loves our iPods. I want to load up content on that for him so he can just push the button and have it pop up and play and keep him occupied or have a storybook or have some game or something that he can play on it. Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity for it, but I think what people are forgetting is that people think that this is a computer and it's not. It's an entertainment device. It's a it's a device mm-hmm. to consume your media and your entertainment, and it's not there to do power computing on. So that would be the only thing that I would say to a lot of the naysayers who say, well, I can get a netbook to do the same thing. Well, yeah, you can, but there's a price associated with that as well. So I'm looking forward to it. Rodrigo, you, do you think you'll get one? Oh, certainly not, unless I get it as a gift. But I only have an iPod because I got one as a gift. Well, there you go. And Matthew, you just have to figure out where your technology plateau is. Uh, I'll get one at the point where everybody has one and the new device comes out. There you go. All right. You can talk more about this over at Majorspoilers.com or the Majorspoilers.com forums. Rodrigo's over there all the time, adding new members, deleting the bad guys. And generally keeping uh, everybody under control and civile. He still won't give me my custom title on here, too. <laughs> no, actually, I tried. I think there's a limit to custom to how many titles you can have. So maybe if you, we got rid of two or three of your custom titles, we can uh, fit a new one in. How many do I have? Um, I think you have two right now. Really? Or maybe just one really long one. Um. <laughs> awesome. I don't know. I I stop I stopped reading after and most sanctified space pope. So <laughs> the space pope. Hello, I'm the space pope. You can tell about this bubble helmet with the little antenna on the top. A domini, domini, domini. All right. If you want us to hear more crazy voices <clears throat> as we talk to you, uh, take a what's listen to this. What's wrong with you? <laughs> what do you mean? What's wrong with me? No, I was saying, if you want to hear more crazy voices, comma, what's wrong with you? Take a listen to this and we'll be right back. How to get a major spoilers shout out. If you want to get a personalized shout out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the make a donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax. And hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. Welcome back to the show. Dun, dun, dun. Thank you, Matthew. That's coming up in just a little bit. Hold your horses. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> it's that part of the show where we do some reviews. Review! Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> This week it looks like <laughs> this week it looks like we've got a book review and two Boom Studios dun, dun, dun. reviews. So why don't we uh, bookend one of the reviews with uh, the two Boom reviews? Who wants to go first, Rodrigo or Matthew? Rock paper scissors. One two three shoot. I got a scissors. I get a rock. Uh, Matthew wins. All right, Matthew. I'll... Tell us about the latest of Mark Wade's ongoing irredeemable number ten. Well, as keeping with the uh, new comic book rule that all books must be titled an adjective since we've used up all the nouns, well, there's invincible and irredeemable and incorruptible and inconceivable, although I don't think that book is about what most people think it's about. (laughs) Irredeemable number 10 came out this week with a really, really scary, scary cover. Um, 
Of course, the whole thing of irredeemable is kind of best summed up in one phrase, and that phrase is, what if Superman lost his effing mind? Right. Um, the Plutonian, who is kind of a Superman analog, has been kind of a... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Pimp-slapping the entire planet, and the former, let's say, the not-quite-the-Justice-League, his partners have been trying to find a way to beat him. Um, in recent issues, we've actually seen them successfully hurt him in that one of their members has received a major power-up somehow, and strangely is seeming to become a bigger threat and more of a D-bag than the Plutonium himself. <laughs> Last issue ended with the Plutonian, um, Kurt, and curled up in a ball next to the uh, grave of his best friend, Samsara. Mm-hmm. At which point, Samsara seems to have come back from the dead. Um, this issue finally does answer one question in that uh, Gilgamesh, I think that's his name, the Hawkman type character with the wings, Gilgamesh, and uh, his wife, Betty Noir. <laughs> All right. I just, it's, it's funny, and then never mind. Gilgamesh and his wife have been, had this kind of weird underlying tension in that the Plutonian seems to have a thing for her and even dressed up one of his little sex slaves as her. Right. And they're having an argument and and Gilgamesh wants to know, did you sleep with him? And his wife won't tell him. Uh, Meanwhile, this is all going on. Uh, Charybdis, I think it's Charybdis. There were twins, Scylla and Charybdis. Scylla's dead. Charybdis is just kind of debagging it up and, you know, getting a whole new suit and he's more powerful than ever. And it's really weird because he's starting to seem worse than the Plutonian whom he's trying to stop. And I'm I'm wondering if there's not a message about absolute power corrupting absolutely or something along those lines going on in here. But um, Charybdis is off on his mission. And Gilgamesh and Betty Noir's argument is interrupted by a guy who beats the heck out of him and tears him apart. Meanwhile, the Plutonian and Samsara are just kind of hanging out together. And it's really kind of odd. They're like, they go to a store and they pick up some food. And of course, the Plutonian kills a man with his laser vision. But that's neither here nor there. We get some of Plutonian's backstory and why he's so alienated and why he's so weird. Mm -hmm. Growing up in a series of foster homes and always feeling alien, feeling left out. And we were finally told the story of how when he was a kid, he heard his mom preparing to commit suicide. Uh, great. And he raced home at superhuman speed. And he forgot that sound takes 10 seconds to travel two miles. And uh. arrive two miles. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting sequence. And it's a sequence that strangely makes me feel really bad and really kind of, you know, empathetic towards the character who I thought was the villain. Yeah. So I I like that. And it turns out of course that Samsara is not what he seems. I'm not going to, you know, give everything away, but Samsara's return may have some evil intent behind it. Ooh, cool. Gilgamesh gets beat up and the episode ends uh with this evil villain beating up Gilgamesh and threatening to kill his wife and she's like, "Fine. I slept with Plutonian." But that's not my secret. Dun dun dun. <laughs> dun 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 dun. Never. 
the um, the rest of the book is actually filled with a preview for the anchor. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really going to go into the anchor per se. I, I, I my feelings for the anchor are, are irrelevant. Irredeemable is a weird little book that I like, and it came out on the heels of other weird little books of which it reminds me. Um, it came out in you know in or about that same time frame as No Hero from Avatar, which had a similar kind of bent to it and went somewhere really whack job different. But I I like the underlying premise here, and the premise is a lot simpler than Superman just goes nuts. And the premise is, with great power comes great responsibility, but what if you can't handle the responsibility? Yeah, that's true. Issue 10 is... I'm not sure how to describe it because I want to say that it's a kind of almost a change from the focus we've seen, but every issue of Irredeemable is kind of a change. Every issue of Irredeemable has a moment where you, you know, you get the rug pulled out from under you and you're like, oh, wait, that's not where I thought we were going. <laughs> and then you find out that you're fascinated by where it is going. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you, I think you said you missed a couple of issues. Yeah, I've missed a couple of issues. I was actually talking with Skrull Brian earlier today. And he said that he's been reading Irredeemable. It's one of his favorite titles that he's been reading lately. And he said there was kind of a dip in the story from, I don't know, the last, I don't know, three or four issues, uh, probably issues five through seven or eight or so. But he says that he thinks, yeah, he thinks that the titles kind of picked back up again and he finds it really fascinating. It it is a good, it it, it serves two purposes. It's It's an interesting adventure story and it's a weird little story. But it's also a kind of a deep story that's saying as much about maybe the superhero motif and the superhero tropes. I love the word tropes, by the way. I never said it before, Rodrigo. Now, two, three times a day, I'm troping it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to be like, tropey, tropey, tropey. I'm going to be in my deathbed. I'm going to remember five words and maybe my daughter's name. And I'm going to be like, tropey, tropey, tropes. <laughs> by the way, the being whole ro- death- rosebud thing. No, I might say nose gay. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> That'll really f with people's heads. <laughs> nose gay. <laughs> but um, by the way, a nose gay is a small handheld bouquet for those of you not in the in the know. Um, neither here nor there. And I think the important thing at this point is to recognize when you're on a tangent, then just kind of move back and jeté back to Coolsville. So. Um, for all intents and purposes, Irredeemable number 10 serves as kind of the midpoint leading into the climax of the second the second book, the second six issues. And it does its job fairly well. The art is Mike Manley. Mike Manley is one of those characters who are one of those artists, rather, whose characters are very distinct. But he works in kind of an old school Marvel style, which I think is kind of an interesting choice on a book that seems to be based on old-school DC archetypes. Hmm. So it's kind of, uh, you know, it, it feels like I'm reading maybe a futuristic Justice League, but it reads like I'm reading a futuristic Avengers, and it kind of throws itself into this whole new world. So um, I'm going to go with four out of five slices of meatloaf. Excellent. Mark Wade, Mark Wade, awesome. You know, it, it, it's like Joey Triviani said, you know, custard good, meat good, onions good. So... Overall, this is a nice French trifle with hamburger and mushrooms in the bottom, and I really like it. Excellent. Well, thank you for that, Matthew. That's from Boom Studios out last week. It's probably still, Ooh. though, in your local comic shop. I, don't I know think we want to start recognizing the anchor now. Is no, that? that's up on the reviews on the on the site. 
Okay. Not in the show. <clears throat> my bad. Okay, so this week I actually found myself in Wichita, Kansas, uh, this past weekend on Sunday. And Dear God, why? I had to go to this event for the for the worky work. <clears throat> but I made a point to stop at Prairie Dog Comics um, down there. I actually ran into the owner as I was leaving. He and I chatted a little bit. But since I get all my comic books from somebody else and somewhere else, I felt like I needed to buy something. I wanted to buy something at the store. And when I was a lad, and even today, I'm a huge fan of the Lego. Matthew, did you play mm-hmm. Lego when you were a kid? Mm, to some degree. What I like to do is make pyramids with like lasers on top. Okay, what about you, Rodrigo? Yeah, I always try to make aminals out of it. Excellent. I just used to build towns and cities and then stomp through them. I'm Godzilla, do what I say. <laughs> so it's it's kind of like now. Yes, exactly. You uh, build your own this... little fiefdom and lord it over the teeny tiny residents. There is this great, co- uh, it's a two-set hardback collection uh, called The Lego Book is the first one, and Standing Small, a celebration of 30 years of the Lego minifigure. And these are just, the two books together are just really a look back down history, uh, back through history, a trip down memory lane of everything having to do with Lego from its first inception, inception all the way up to the modern era. And it's just fascinating to go through here and see all of these old sets, all of these uh, minifigs in the standing small issue, uh, learning the history about the production of, of the Lego brick and the sets and everything, what went right, what went wrong. It's just a very cool book. Now, it's not detailed. I mean, it's not like there's a lot of words in there, but there are a lot of great pictures of the set. Some of them you may have even had as a kid. And I remember going through here on Sunday when I got home, flipping through here and going, oh my gosh, I remember that set. And oh, I remember that set from when I was like eight, nine, eight, nine years old. And I continue to collect Lego and I still have them uh, stored away for my son when he's old enough to play with the little bricks. He's of course plays with Duplo right now and loves the heck out of them. Lego is still a fascinating pop culture item, and to have a whole, essentially, medium-sized coffee table books, two of them, devoted to the Lego and the minifig, I think is fantastic. Uh, 40 bucks for the two of them. They are hardbound, but the images inside are wonderful. They are very well done. And even if you just want to admire the work of what Lego has done over the years with their different sets, their different themes, the theme characters... Uh, this is just a fun book. Uh, it's not a not a comic book by any means, but it's certainly a pop culture book. I think anyone who ever played with Lego and loved Lego, or maybe their kids play with Lego, this would be a good book to get. Uh, it's a two volume set, forty bucks. I'm giving it four and a half uh, slices of meatloaf out of five. Nice. All right, so that brings us back around to Boom Studios again, Woo! Rodrigo, with a new book coming out this week. That's right. Um, Dingo number three by Michael Allen Nelson and art by Francesco Biagini. I think. Are there any babies eaten in this issue? Um, there aren't any babies <clears throat> eaten in this issue. I don't think uh, Dingo hasn't had a lot of baby eating. Um, there are a lot of bad guy eating because of that. That gigantic dog is still around chomping on people. Um, at the end of last issue, Dingo was thrown off of a bridge to his death. Oh, no. Yes. Um, of so this course, must be the I, last issue, right? I mean, it was a this, perfect cliffhanger. This is the, the entire issue is him just sinking to the bottom of well, the Well, I was river. thinking maybe this was an issue where the, the writer and the artist sat down and had a conversation about what death meant. <laughs> you had to wait until one more issue to find out what happens to Dingo. 
Yeah. I don't suppose they no. were that much of a dick to do that in this issue, though, did they? No, I'm sorry. This is an issue in which you meet four completely different characters, and you don't oh, get to okay. find out what happens for four extra issues. <laughs> Come to think of it, guys, I think we are dicks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, as it turns out, the thugs that threw Dingo off of a bridge um, didn't throw him far enough, so he hits the concrete... Uh, sort of pillar that's that's underneath you know he hits enough water that it breaks his fall a little bit and enough concrete that it breaks his fingers that are tied behind his back um so he manages to crawl his way back up um gets back on the bridge but a train comes so he has to jump back off and at the end um his gigantic horrible dog monster comes out and saves him um along with the uh car seat that he was tied to (laughs) um it's really great uh, so he goes to the hospital, gets himself patched up, and goes on to see his ex-wife, who is this supernatural creature who is trying to get her supernatural powers back, um, by bargaining with a, a, this mysterious box that Dingo's family is supposed to keep safe. And in this issue, we find out what it, what is inside the box. What's um, in the box? Which, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spoiler it and say that it's a teddy bear, but there's actually something in the teddy bear that's important. Um... But as it turns out, the entirety of what's supposed to be in the teddy bear is not there, and it kind of becomes this thing of, you know, there's the uh, the ex-wife, the party that wants to buy it, which is uh, headed by a horrible monster thingy, and Dingo, and it kind of turns into a, you know, lots of people pointing guns at each other moment, and then everybody just kind of points the gun at Dingo and starts shooting, um, at which point... His dog jumps in the way, gets shot a lot, and kind of gets back up and starts laughing. Um, so hopefully the dog next gets issue, up and starts laughing. Yes, like laughing like a human or laughing like a, a snaggletooth or something. Um. Well, he does say that you know, you know, the the dog gets taken down by the hail of bullets and right. Dingo's like, Oh no, this dog saved my life on multiple times and I couldn't do the same for him. And now he's sitting there wheezing cause they must've punctured along or something. And it's like, wait a minute, he's not wheezing at all. And then like, it shows the dog standing up and it's like, he's laughing and uh, you, you know, you see him go. <laughs> okay. So like muttly, like mumbly. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess so. I mean, it is a comic book, so I couldn't quite. They, yeah, I would imagine it was something like that. Okay. Actually, I kind of imagine that he's going. <laughs> that sounds like Julia Child again. Yeah, well, there you go. She's in this too. No! Uh, no! She is, she is everywhere. Um, no! I'm enjoying this book a lot. I, I actually, it actually made me go out and by go out and do some research, <laughs> I do mean looking it up online on what some of the terms they're throwing around are. There's some Greek mythology going on, but they're going with slightly more obscure Greek mythological, uh, kind of like early Greek stuff, which is nice. It's cool. It's very interesting, very well drawn. Um, I'm going to give this three and a half slices of meatloaf, and it's definitely, definitely on its way up as well. Excellent. As a series. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So there you go. Three reviews this week, all very positive in the way that they... uh have come across. If you want to read some more reviews, certainly head over to Majorspoilers.com where we try to get up at least one review a day. Sometimes not, sometimes more. Eh, 
you take your chance. Sometimes we'll do four in an afternoon if we all get bored. Yeah, exactly. And of course, plenty of plenty of stories, plenty of humor, plenty of videos, plenty of sneak peeks, and of course, plenty of spoilers over at Majorspoilers.com. Now that we're done with the reviews, it's time for... What? All right. Oh. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, dun, dun, exactly. Dun. <laughs> Wait, Jesus. no, it's... Oh, it's that time? It's that time it's already. I'm looking time. at the clock. It says it is that time. It's time. In a world where no one knows why I talk like Don LaFontaine. Is that who you're trying to be? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> young people in the room, I would urge oh, you. Oh, Matthew, 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 Matthew. Proceed. You son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that cracks me up. It's time. I would say it's for the millions in attendance, but this time, my young friends, it's an exclusive one-of-a-kind, rare, extra-collectible major spoilers poll of the week. So exclusive. How exclusive, you ask? Well, only three people gets to vote in it because this is a podcast-only poll of the week! Week, 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 Yeah, so I thought it would be a little unfair for us to talk about uh, should Orem run or fight uh, for the Critical Hit podcast because, you know, the three of us already know the outcome. And, oh boy, you're going to want to listen to Saturday where Rodrigo breaks down how he deals with death in... Uh, Break it down. <laughs> how he de- determines how to kill people in, in dungeon. Oh, maybe I've said too much. And, and two weeks from now, we'll discuss my feelings on how Rodrigo feels about Stephen's feelings about the feelings of Stephen. That's feelings. what I told one of, the, one of the people commented on the site and asked, uh, you, know, you know, you make us wait an extra week. And I told him, well, you know... We're planning on waiting, you know, making you wait for another four or five weeks. That'd but I guess awesome. I guess people need to find the answer this weekend. So you'll have to listen to that. No. You can go vote about vote uh, about that poll over at the Majorspoilers.com website. If you don't know anything what Orem is or what a critical hit is, you're certainly not part of the complete Major Spoilers experience. Point your browser uh, to critical, or uh, I'm sorry, to Major Spoilers. Click on the podcast link and then look at critical, critical hit. It's hit. our Dungeons and Dragons. Real play podcast, very popular, very a uh, lot of people like it a lot. Get a lot of great comments and some bad comments here and there. Not too many though. Uh, about the show. Hit, so please, week, everyone. This Getting week, since we know the answer, the uh, poll discussion <clears throat> for us is: If you could live in any comic book city, where would you lay down roots, Matthew? Central City. All right. Why? Because if there's one thing I have learned in 25 years of reading comics, everyone who lives in Central City eventually gains super speed. (laughs) And thus, I would eventually gain super speed. Okay. And I already have my super speed name. Which is? Please don't say the wizard. Telemachus. (laughs) Okay. I would be the super speed guy who doesn't corner quite so well, but I hit you full on with the mass, the full force of my mass, and knock you through a wall. What was the uh, team of speedsters? I think they were Russians that started a delivery service. Uh, Blue Trinity. Was that who it was? Okay. One of those guys reminds me of you if you were a speedster, I guess. What are you saying? I'm just saying you would make a great Russian speedster who delivers packages. Why you talk like this? I know the liver package. 
My cousin Nico and I occasionally we drive cab in Liberty City, but I never talk like is with the package delivery. I would uh, what, I would tend what, to what's wrong with you? I would tend to agree with you, Matthew, on the city, except I'd be across the river in uh, Keystone City. Where everybody wears a hubcap on their head. Yes, and we've been frozen in time for 40 years suddenly to come out and say, well, huh? But, uh, yeah, I think uh, Keystone City would be uh, the place where I'd lay down roots, just close enough to the uh, city that's always getting attacked because the Flash lives there, um, and Jay Garrick's not around enough to uh, to really make a difference in the city. So that's where I would that's where I would stay. What about you, Rodrigo? Now, it doesn't have to be uh, D.C. Both Matthew and I picked a D.C. city, but... Yeah, well, I mean, I, I already live in the pretty much in the middle of rural America. So if I have to live in the middle of rural America, then I would want to live in that uh, town in Oklahoma that Asgard was hovering over for a while. Roxton, Oklahoma? Yep. You know it's about to get blowed up, right? Well, eventually every city that a superhero lives in gets blown up. So, I mean, I guess I could have said I would actually like to live in the DC Universe's New Jersey because that one's never going to get touched. <laughs> are you kidding? That's where uh, Bloodhaven and, and uh, Gotham City are. Well, that's where I they're remember, supposed to be, but... Bloodhaven in, I, I, got nuked. Right. Yeah, that's right. But what I'm saying is, there still is technically a New York and New Jersey in the that's DC true. Universe, isn't there? So, yes. I mean, that's that's what I was getting at, is like, I well, I, I could just... is actually in the state of New Troy. It's in I could Maryland. just live in Seattle, you know, in, in, in any, <laughs> in any uh, right. universe. Not much it's happens actually, there. What's interesting about if you ever read the classic DC Atlas that I reference every once in a while about yeah. the 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 small town of of Smallville ninety thousand people That's on the small Kansas town. Prairie. That's a small <laughs> town. If you live in New York, uh, Central and Keystone are uh, according to that atlas kansas city kansas and kansas city missouri that's, that's what they're supposed to be but i think now in the modern universe they're moved a little bit further north to yeah, just I think north now of kansas city cities. no not that far north i think they're like more right on like uh, the nebraska kansas border is i think where they're at now weird yeah, north of kansas city is like uh iowa most of the yeah, time yeah kind of kind of up in that area yeah it's really weird there's, there's actually no- a website let me see if i can find it really quick um Bum, bum, bum. I think it's called DC Universe. Bum, bum, bum. Can I choose the village? Sure, go ahead. I could live in the village. Well, you know, I thought about Astro City. Oh, that would be awesome. Wouldn't that be awesome? Because usually Astro City, because it's basically a character, that one doesn't get completely destroyed at any given point, but at any point there's like the, just a horrible crisis. Yeah. Yeah. And- going on which might just be a financial crisis that then <laughs> has that a silver agent that was your all about it was all about the new guy moving to astro city yeah. and dealing with the fallout of the constant superhero battles and then all of a sudden the episode everybody's being nice and pitching in and helping to clean up and you know we're having we're having a chili supper for for the survivors on friday yeah. and every, he's just like <laughs> i like it here i'm going to stay in astro city until i'm completely blowed up and turned into a fine red mist by the promethean well, and, you know, there are different neighborhoods in Astro City, so I, if I had to pick one, I would probably live in that horribly spooky neighborhood up on, like, Dead Shadow Man's Hill. Hill. Yeah. Shadow Hill, where the hanged man will protect you. Because the hanged man will protect me, exactly. It's like, sure, I have to watch this, like, horrible apparition, like, horrible 20-foot-tall apparition walk the streets, but he's, you know, he's a nice guy. Yeah. All right, so you, the... You have to wear your silver and your carry your stakes but yeah so the website that i was referencing uh, just a moment ago is the um 
Atlas of the DC Universe. It can be found at Caridian, K-A-R-R-I-D-I-A-N dot net slash DC USA, or I'm sorry, DC Atlas dot HTML. And so that, I think, has the modern placement of all the cities. And it does have Keystone uh, City, uh, Kansas, and um, Central City, Missouri, Missouri. way up north, way up on the very tip, like where where the airport is uh, in Kansas, the KCI airport, way up north there, right on the border. That's where those two cities are. It's got Smallville located about, uh, it's right on the, probably about 50 miles south of Wichita, South of Wichita? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And in, in, in the recent, in a recent uh, Smallville, or maybe season three episode of Smallville, they reference Smallville being just north of Wichita, which I found but interesting as well. Can't you see Metropolis from Smallville? <laughs> yes. And, and is it Metropolis on the East Coast? Well, not in, not in this world. Therefore, the DC universe in the Smallville world is 57 miles across. Exactly. See, uh, see, that's the thing. That's what they've been building to this whole time is this big secret thing. In the Smallville universe, the entire East Coast fell into the sea. <laughs> and by the entire East Coast, I do mean as far west as all the, the Great Lakes. Mississippi. Yeah, all the way yeah. to Mississippi. Uh, you know yeah. what's really interesting is this would explain why the Justice Society had to go into hiding exactly. and why there's only three of them. Exactly. Um, uh, this list Metropolis, or Metropolis as in Delaware and Gotham in New Jersey. Happy Harbor still stays in Rhode Island, uh, if That's anybody because cares. It's supposed to be in Rhode Island. There you go. So check that out. Where's uh, Oolong Island? Uh, let's see. It would be listed here in the World Atlas. Whoops. Dun dun dun. Uh, it's going to take me too long to find it here. Dun 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 dun. dun, dun people dun, can go there. Let's Gorilla City. Stephen types really slow because it sucks. No, I'm actually. You have to kind of uh, skim through all these little interactive maps to find it anywhere. I actually, I don't think it's listed. Guy needs to update his site. Well, all right, so that's what our thoughts are on the cities that we would live in if we lived in a comic book universe. Those are the series we would have in. If we lived in a comic book universe, one, two, three, four. We should do the entire show as a series of Ramon songs someday. All right. You one, can two, three, uh, head over to the major spoilers forums and talk this out in the appropriate forum. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, Stephen, Matthew, Rodrigo. This is Lee Goldberg. I've been a longtime fan of the site. I started visiting your site at daily back when you used to post pictures along with reviews from the actual comics. Um, there's two comics that I've been a huge fan of, but I'm surprised that you uh, haven't talked about that much. Um, Empowered, the series Empowered by uh, Adam Warren, I believe, from Dark Horse Comics, and um, The Max, which... I am actually uh, somewhat of an island on, and that I quite like, but very few people seem to inter- seem to appreciate. I was just wondering what your thoughts were on these two properties. Uh, thank you, and please keep doing what you do. If you haven't been able to tell by now, Matthew is fairly excited this week for some dun, reason. Dun, 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 dun. As we talk about The Prisoner, one of Matthew's favorite shows of all time, claims that he's watched every episode. At least a dozen times. Where am I? In the village. What do you want? We want information. 
You won't get it. By hook or by crook, we will. Who are you? The new number two. Who is number one? You are number six. I am not a number. I am a free man. Thanks for calling, everybody. We'll see you next week. Yeah, thanks, man. Dun, I didn't know how much dun, further you were going to go on that. Dun, uh, dun. We are talking about... going to do the whole second show. <laughs> Hello, I am the number eight. I am from Russia. <laughs> I actually forgot whose side are you on now that I mentioned it. But yeah. The Prisoner, this week we're talking about The Prisoner Shatter- Shattered Visage, was put out by Vertigo uh, Comics a couple of years ago. Man, about 10, 15 years ago. This may have predated Vertigo. It was right on the border. I think this came out under the DC banner, though. Yeah, I may have started that. This way. was one of the early books about the time that Vertigo kicked off. Neither here nor there. Okay. Well... Rodrigo just dropped off for the moment, uh, so let us take a quick pause. So, Matthew, before we get into this discussion of Shattered Visage, yes, I know that you are in love with The Prisoner and have watched it a billion times, and Bruce uh, Otter has listened to it a billion million, or watched it, it, it a billion million prison. times. Yes. But maybe there's some of our listeners who don't know what the hell The Prisoner is all about, so fill us in. Dun, dun, dun. All of it. Dun, dun, dun. If you've ever watched the opening sequence of any episode of The Prisoner, then the basics of it are there. Um, there is an intelligence operative. There are some who claim that it is the same character, John Drake, that the actor Patrick McGoohan played in his previous series, a show called Danger Man, uh-huh. which is known mostly for the theme song Secret Asian Man. Secret mm. Asian, Asian Man. Yeah. I don't know why he's Asian, because Patrick well, McGoohan. He's, he's secretly Asian. Oh, got it. <laughs> In any case, this unnamed agent, um, at the beginning of the show, drives to the intelligence headquarters, stomps his way down the hallway, and resigns. He's never really sure why. He goes home, packs his things, he's gassed, and he wakes up in the village. And the village is seemingly where old spies go to die. There's monitoring systems everywhere, there's security everywhere, you cannot leave the village but you're never entirely sure because obviously throughout the series it becomes clear that some of the principals of the village are actually captors they're jailers themselves and not captives, Mm. so there's a huge feeling of paranoia and this agent arrives and is dubbed citizen number six well, how come and he gets num- the ranking of number six? Are there only six people on the island when he arrives? Oh, or no, does his status hundreds. place him at the number six ranking? Um, it's never really spoken of. And one thing that is clear is that six knows things. The information that six has in his mind and the information which theoretically led to his resignation is dangerous to the state, theoretically. Okay. all right. Now, this is something, this is all backstory, because they never tell us why he resigned, what his crime is, what his secrets are, what he knows are indeed who's behind the village. But the the whole point of the series is number two is in charge of the village. Number two is trying to find the information that six knows. And as each number two fails, then you'll get a new number two. Which I think is, if people have read The Shattered Visage, even if you haven't seen an episode of The Prisoner or maybe just kind of like me tangentially aware of the show and may have seen little bits and pieces of it here and there, you know, the first, I don't know, five or six pages of the comic book really kind of spell out 
what happened to number six yeah. and how come there were these number different number twos that popped in and out? Well, it it gives you information certainly. Uh, again, it doesn't it doesn't flat out say anything because I think that would be counter to the nature of the program. Right. But this this book was designed as a sequel to answer some of those questions. Now it's an unauthorized sequel. Is it? Yeah. That's what I was. The BBC gonna... the BBC allowed them to do it, but it's not considered canonical by the BBC, ah, okay. to my knowledge. Okay. Or by the creators of the series, Patrick McGowan and um, I believe, God, what is that guy's name? Harry, maybe? I don't know. The producer, Patrick McGowan, the star, was also the producer. Mm -hmm. And it was said of this book that McGowan didn't hate it. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Which, if you know anything about Patrick McGowan, is probably the closest thing you're going to get to, you know, an acceptance. He Uh, didn't. Hate it. Didn't hate it. You're thinking George Mark Stein. Thanks. The you. other creator. Yeah. Okay. Mark Stein actually plays the bald man, the, the general at the beginning to whom Six resigns. Oh, okay. But basically throughout the series, Six is always trying to escape. Right. Number two, whomever number two is, is always trying to get his information. And as the series progresses, number two's actions get more and more desperate. Number six's actions get more and more bizarre to the point where the last episode of the series, if you read it as, if you read it straightforward as it is presented, Mm -hmm. the narrative cannot make sense. So the last episode has to be taken as mostly representational impressionistic if you will and what one of the things that this book does is take that last episode which quite frankly if you walk out of that last episode and take it on its own terms there's there's no sequel to end you can't sequelize this this story so it does give us a possible explanation of the events of episodes 16 and 17 okay but so we are led to believe in, in episode 16 that number six kills number two, but in issue uh, or episode 17, he's back in some kind of bizarre, trippy fashion, right? Is that what you're he talking about? He is actually resurrected in episode 17 through a, a bizarre process. And what's really fascinating is several months took place in between episodes. So Leo McKern, the actor who plays number two, Mm-hmm. I think he the story goes that he suffered a heart attack. Oh, okay. So he comes back from the dead, clean shaven and 40 pounds lighter. Ah, all right. Which is nice. And that's kind of key to this story because apparently, as we find out, um, at some point in the future after these episodes have been done airing, uh, somebody, government comes and liberates the island, comes and liberates the village. And number two is thrown in jail, and he, while he's in jail as part of his uh, compensation package for uh, being number two, he writes a book called The Village Idiot, which is supposed to be an account of what really is going on with a lot of secrets that have to be edited out by this character that we meet by the name of Thomas. Right. Um, but we're also told that in Thomas's searching for these people, he's edited the manuscript that number two wrote— he discovers that there's one prisoner that was never accounted for, number six. And yet when they cleaned off the island, they said that there was no one left on the island. Yet 
they still insisted that water, medical, and food supplies and electricity continue to be maintained on the on the island. So there's this idea that in the village that number six is still there. Someone is still there. Someone yeah. is still there, which brings up the question, Matthew, if yes. we've got a number two on the island, where's number one? Who is number one? Well, as number six states a couple of times, does the existence of a number two preclude number one? Because now, did he do that in the series? Because I, I found that rather yes. cool in the book where they bring that up again. If you get to it, episode 17, which is called Fallout, mm-hmm. there is a long sequence where he finally goes and he's he's taken... Episode 16 ends with, I want to see number one, and someone saying, I'll take you. And then episode 17 just really gets a woohoo. So number one is, if you look at the episode rationally, if you look at it and say, well, here are the images that were presented to us, number one is never explained. Okay. The the closest thing we really see to it is a big number one um, next to what looks to be a big cylindrical object like a missile. Ah, okay. So number one is never identified. And number six, when he passes the trial... Or when he when he survives degree absolute doesn't ever actually find number one. He finds a, a number of strange images and what are probably you know what are explained in this book as possibly hallucinations. Yeah. About what he thinks number one is. And who does he think number one is? Well, initially he unmasks number one to find a monkey, and then he takes the mask off the monkey. And is shown his own face. Oh, so you are number six. Stop that. <laughs> Stop that. Okay, let me go on record right now. I am not a huge giant prisoner fan. I am not the world's largest prisoner fan. But there is an undercurrent among prisoner fandom where people say, in the last episode, every episode opens with that narration. Yes. And whomever is playing number two says number two's part. That would be telling. We want information. In that last episode, Leo McKern, who is playing number two, says, you are number six. As normal, someone started this rumor, and I want to discredit it right now, that in the last episode he says, you are number six. He does not say that. And Patrick McGowan himself said, no, he does not say that. And if number six can't be believed and then no one can be believed, dogs and cats are living together, <laughs> total chaos. Okay, so, Rodrigo, let's get you into the picture because we don't want people to think that this is just uh, the Matthew show. It's also Hello. the Rodrigo show. Rodrigo, how familiar are you with The Prisoner? I have seen, I know that I've seen the first two episodes of it and then random episodes in between. But, you know, any, except for the first one and the last two any given episode of the prisoner i think can largely be taken as its own thing okay kind of the same thing seen it before mm-hmm. every episode somewhat similar yeah okay i mean they all basically start with him waking up did you see the one about him trying to get out of the village i did <laughs> yeah. they're and actually the weather him. and ultimately being foiled Yes, I did see that one. There's one where he gets out of the village and makes it all the way back to London, which kind of, you know, throws Gilligan's Island syndrome up on side of its head. And then then at the end, there's a dun-dun-dun moment. Uh-huh. Yep. 
where he's that, gassed that's once the, again. that's actually that's actually the second episode which the, the the crazy thing about this series um is that they're they're like one hour episodes maybe even like a little bit more than an hour eh, maybe a little you know it, I, 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 they clock in at about an hour and like it's an entire story in one episode so like as i was watching them i was like oh well, I remember this one episode where he meets this Russian girl. I was like, wait a minute. That's this episode. Right. Like, so many things happen in one episode of that show. It's actually kind of crazy. They're like self-contained little movies, basically. Okay. Yeah. So going into this book then, Rodrigo, what? how does this start off? I already mentioned that there's this guy named Thomas who kind of knows that there's something going on back at the island. But then we're introduced to some other characters and the storyline kind of progresses from there. And we're really not... We're really not privy to the information that there's a a, a mission and agenda going on. Right. Um, we meet, uh, and I don't exactly remember the order in which we meet these characters, but we meet Thomas's wife who's getting ready for a like unpowered sea trip around the world. Um, we meet Lee, who is this crazy American agent, not Aren't necessarily an agent for the Americans, but he's a crazy American who is an agent for someone. Um, we meet, uh, Ross, is it? That's, um, yes. Ross is Tom's supervisor. Right. Um, and is, uh, every one of these characters has something to hide and is pretty much trying to figure out what the other ones are doing and up to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it creates kind of this sense of, uh, you know, sort of between characters conversations, you get to see what's going on as they, slowly divulge to each other what they found out about each other. Yeah. Yeah. And about the village and about a bunch of all weird stuff. And Lee and Mm -hmm. Thomas are kind of working together to, it's not clear if they're trying to sabotage the wife's boat or what's going on or or track it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But somehow she has information that Thomas wants and she's also a member of the, uh, of the agency at one time. And now she's resigned and, much that, much like the original number six, she has information that people want. Right. But I think it's interesting that, you know, throughout this, her situation is interesting in that she actually kind of represents the same thing that Six himself does and did. Mm-hmm. And he, he says to her at one point, you know, trust no one. You'll never be free unless you view everyone and everything as suspect. As a reader, we have to do that. Yes. Because we don't, we don't even know what she knows. Well, but. and that's, that was my problem with it because here I'm thinking all the time after, after we start finding out that, you know, she crashes on the island and she winds up in the village and it's 20 years later and she's wandering around and we're cutting back to Lee and, and Thomas having their conversations. It almost sounds like she, is part of the plan, but she's so far undercover, she's making it look like they've gotten a divorce, and the um, the sailing around the world trip is just the ruse so she can get to the island and find information about the island and find information about the village so that she's in it just as much as, as Lee and Thomas are, but it just winds up a little differently, and that's how I read it, that she was part of it. But then when you get to the end of the book, it's like, no, she's just the victim of circumstance, or she was, you know destined to end up on the in the village uh because mm. she did know this information and i never read it as her being in on it so much as her being a part of their plot 
But I think it, you know, it, it is also important to note it. What she knows is not as important as the fact that someone wants what she knows. Yeah. What, what she knows, if they told us she knows all the names of all the operatives in Belgium, it would have been really kind of a, you know, a huge downer to have, and the same is true of what Six knew in the 60s, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to find out what these secrets actually are would be very, very anticlimactic. So I, I think the represent her, she, what she represents actually is twofold, but what she represents at this point is a person who is for all intents and purposes in the same boat, no pun intended, that six was when he was brought to the village. Right. And that's, that's echoed in, you know, her arrival when she finds she ends up finding the central uh, watch grounds, for lack of a better word, and she finds someone sitting there. Mm-hmm. And she asks, "Who are you? Where am I? Where are you?" And he says, "In the village." And she says, "I need more information." And he's like, "Information." His yeah. lines, yeah, just reversed. And he goes, well, "Not in- even that." He says what number two says. She doesn't ask his questions, right. but his responses are what number two says. Right. Even to the point and where then, he says, welcome to the island, or welcome to the village, yeah. number six. Yes, you are number six. So basically we find that six himself has been on the island for, at this point in time, probably 20 years. Yeah, that's, I what, think yeah, that's what it says. This is a contemporary book to like 1987, 85 in that neighborhood, kind of a just barely not quite post cold war time mhm then for whatever reason mm-hmm. thomas is starting to figure some things out he's trying to cover his tracks he knows that there's something big on the island but because his wife now and and it's not really clear if their divorce is real or if it's imaginary if it's a pretend divorce it's real okay so he feels some obligation to go and rescue her and he and Lee and a bunch of other people wind up there. Of course, number two, he's released from prison, and he mm. immediately heads back to the island because he wants to finish what he started with with number six. And we get all these people that, that wind up on the island, and it, there's really a great deal of espionage, and I really kind of like this back-and-forth game that's being played throughout the entire uh, series where who's covering up what tracks, who knows what, who's being deceived, who is being revealed, and we learn a, a really cool fact about the village. Uh, Thomas's, I guess, ultimate supervisor is this old woman mm-hmm. uh, who's in her dying days or whatever, and the director of ops, Ross, goes to her, and they're having the conversation about the village idiot book that is kind of a big deal, and um, he essentially asks her, he says, what do you think of of this or what was the vi- what was the real point of the village and she says oh it was just a testing ground to see if we could do this on a larger scale and i that was kind of a chilling moment when i read that because it's like uh, that means that there are other villages out there and as we go later in the book the director of ops gets so fed up with what's going on that he resigns and the last pages are the last moments that we see of him are him drinking tea in his room and gas coming in and a man in a big top hat in a, in a coffin uh, carting him away somewhere. And I thought that was very, very cool. 
Definitely, I agree. I think that when we look at what the village represents, Mm -hmm. I think it's funny that even 20 years out of date, number two secrets were considered so dangerous that his book was redacted practically to the point that it didn't make any sense. And her revelation that it was a prototype, it was something about, it was something designed, I think, to something to do with those operatives the men who literally knew too much. But then the old lady gets killed. <laughs> yeah, she gets smothered in her sleep. Uh, Rodrigo, what yeah. did you think of that reveal about the, the purpose of the village as a pilot program? Um, I think it made sense. What didn't make sense to me, or what I thought was kind of lame, was the whole missile deal. Okay, so let's talk oh. about that. At the end, Thomas and mm-hmm. Lee go in with a bunch of troopers to capture number two to find his wife and get him off the island but then at the same time while they're trying to find the information and download the information a bunch of other military people are storming the island uh ready to shoot to kill and and find number two and then they've or i'm sorry number six and they find themselves down in the bowels of the village and there appear to be nuclear missiles down there is that why number six was kept around you remember my references previously to number one appearing as just a number and a little electronic eye on the side of a cylinder? Yeah. The cylinder was revealed to be an atomic missile later mm-hmm. in the episode. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that episode, the missile was launched. Ah, okay. Which is why you can't take the events of the end of Fallout as entirely representational which is why they came up with the explanation, as we saw in the beginning of this book, that number two's degree absolute was actually partly LSD. Which, you know, makes sense in that number six was probably pretty well tripping throughout most of the effects of Fallout. But oh, yeah. the rock, the rockets under the village are an established plot point from the show. Okay, uh, I see. all right. Because I just that kind of surprised me and got me thinking. Oh, so this is why number six stayed around. Maybe this was if he really was number one, as the phrase is misquoted. Uh, then he would be there to maintain and monitor and make sure that no one discovered the secret of those nuclear missiles. Well, there's um, actually a discussion of that in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, Alice, and by the way, I love the fact that her name is Alice because she's falls through the looking she, glass. She, she falls through the looking gas and down the rabbit hole. Yeah. But when number two, actually number two, not n- number six, calling himself number two, right. which is complicated. I wish it the is. character had a name. It is. Number two, as played by Rumpole of the Bailey, <laughs> um, says to her that after the fall of the village, number six declared himself to be number one. Right. And then at that point, he Maybe was trapped between belief systems. Because for him to choose a number was pretty much the end of the way he thought about things. So I felt that his his staying at the village was not so much stay and protect the secrets of the village, but more a once, you know, once the village was destroyed mm-hmm. and once he was, you know, metaphorically destroyed, there was really nowhere else for him to go. The others were free to go. He was free to stay. And, you know, being kind of a contradictory person, but also being someone whose entire belief system was kind of smashed. He didn't, you know, he didn't have anywhere else to go. I I wonder if it was, you know, a question of not feeling like he could return 
to the world, revealing, you know, once it was revealed what it was, revealed whatever <laughs> was revealed. You know what I mean? It, it, it's hard to talk about these things because they never really say the yeah. things that many of us believe happened at the end of The Prisoner. So right. it, it, that's part of the reason why it's such a popular fiction is that you can put your own stamp on it. Mm-hmm. You can put your own expectations and your own interpretations into it, and they're going to be just as valid as the next guy because there is no canonical interpretation. Mm-hmm. Rodrigo, it's got to be aliens. Aliens. Rodrigo, be aliens. wrap up this series for us. What happens when everybody's at the island? It starts off with crazy number two doing something really crazy. All right, so crazy number two thinks that uh, crazy number six is dead, not to be confused with new sexy number six. Um <laughs> And so goes down. They actually kind of like uh, Ross and not Ross, um, Thomas and Thomas, Lee kind of yeah. pass him on the way down. And they're like, OK, crazy man, I'll talk to you later. Um, <laughs> so he goes down and he initiates the launch for the missiles as these other operatives are coming down to take out uh, Lee and Thomas. Um, and he refuses to open the. Um, the hatch for the missiles to leave, essentially. Right, right. So he basically is going to launch the missiles into the island, into the village. And apparently, and, and then he, and then he does. And apparently, everybody dies except for number six and number six, yeah. who make it off the island. And apparently, they stole the 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 water wheel oh. as. <laughs> I don't, that didn't make a lot of sense, how they were using the water wheel to power the the boat to get back off the island. That didn't make any sense. There's also another think, scene. You know, there's another scene. You, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me either, and maybe it's a, left up to interpretation, but uh, there's a scene when, when the female, number six, arrives on mm-hmm. the island and the weather balloon comes up from the water. And it's sitting there the entire series. And then there's a point where Peter McGowan's character, like, walks on water. There's a shot where he's, like, walking off into the sunset on water. What the, what the heck? When does this happen? Uh, I'd have to No, find... that's, it's, it's in there. And, like, I was like, okay, so is he just, like, because it's, it's kind of hard to tell. The art isn't completely photorealistic. Sometimes right. it is, but sometimes it's kind of, like, point, uh... Like, sometimes it's, like, rendered to be photorealistic, but most of the time when the characters are interacting, it isn't. So it's hard to tell what exactly is going on, but it does appear like he's kind of walking on water towards the sunset, and the uh, sentry balloon monster is kind of, like, just letting him following do it. him. Yeah, yeah, like, walking along with him, maybe, like, going around to the other side of him. It's, it's, it's actually that sequence. I had a very hard time figuring out what was going on. Is this after the explosion? No, no, this is before. No, this is this is like right in the middle of it. This is after. This is. This I, is I think before right every, after this she is, meets number two. This is yeah. This is right after they like started the, fighting. The, oh yeah, it's right after she's met number two. number two. It's right before crazy number two and number six fight with each other, and it's before everybody invades the island. Do you have a page number? Yeah, let me look. I was going to find it real quick because it was one that I wanted to ask you about because I just thought it was so bizarre in how it uh, how it went. But Rodrigo, talk. Uh, here as we I, go. You found it. Sort of, yeah. 
So they're on, they're on the stone boat. Mm-hmm. And Six jumps off the side of the stone boat. Yes. And walks off into the water. And Rover just follows him. Yeah. Weird. Hang on. <laughs> Found something is, that has even stumped Matthew. Well, kind of. The whole point of Rover is to keep people in the village. Right. Now, it kept her mm-hmm. because she tried her. to escape. Right. But I'm wondering if... Well, that is weird. I don't know what the hell that's about. But it's a cool scene, isn't it? It is, and that's why I wanted to know more about it. Um, well, and there are several times during the series, and you know, you see it in the opening credits of every episode... Where Six makes a run for it and Rover, you know, envelops him and drags him back. Right. Rover basically just, you know, surrounds you and takes you back to the village. I'm wondering if this is not somehow supposed to be representational of Six now being the master of the village. Yeah, and being free or free to do what he wants. That's what I, maybe that's what it meant. Um, but I'm not sure that he's so much walking on water as he is walking in the shallows, but. Okay, maybe that's what it is. I it just the art was a little wonky in that part. Turns out yeah. that uh, number six and um, what's the woman's name? I keep forgetting. Uh, Alice. Alice. Yes. Uh, they make it off and they're fine. And and Alice is reunited with her daughter and kind of has a happy ending. Yep. And for not for everybody though. Not for everybody. Just the people you know, the good people. I guess the people that we're rooting for. Uh, end up that way. But there's also this little hint that as we mentioned before, that the village was really a pilot program. We get the sense of what is the other village. And we get this shot of parliament and the way that it's drawn, it's almost like parliament is behind bars. Yeah. Well, and at the end, a little further on, Ross is in his kitchen. Right. And suddenly he is gassed. Yep, and taken off. Much, ex- well, exactly like what happened to Six in the opening credits of the series. So yeah. there's a lot of weirdness going on. It, even, you know, even if you look at episodes 16 and 17 and you break them down and say, well, this part could be hallucination and this part could be something entirely different you have to look at this and and think that, you know, you can't do an ending that says, well, that's what this was. And that's what this was. And that's what this was. It's like the X files. It can't end on a note that says, and then we wrapped up all the plot threads. Yeah. You you can't do that. Rodrigo, tell us about your art. You talked about the art a little bit. Tell us a little bit more about what you thought of the art in this issue. Um, I thought it was okay. I thought, it it added that kind of like dream like quality uh, to the piece. You know, I wasn't crazy about it. I thought that it got the job accomplished. Like it wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. I thought that it got the job accomplished. You know, obviously when it was time to show a character like Patrick McGowan or like Number Two, um, and you know, you could tell that it was them when there was a close up, and that's right. really all you needed. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think the art is very representational of the time period in which the issue came out. And granted, we're reading an older copy. Um, you know, there hasn't this hasn't been a recoloring of it. 
But I do not like when someone's supposed to have blonde hair and because of the way we just want to throw in a different color palette in the page, suddenly the blonde hair is now a red hair, so it kind of looks like a different person. Um, Or we totally change the facial colors of the person from Caucasian to red alien kind of stuff. And I know it's artistic, but the coloring in the book at times just doesn't do it for me. It's a color palette. It is, and it just doesn't do it for me. It's very reminiscent of the time period that this that this book came out. Well, and I, I will tell you that the art was representational enough that uh, during the funeral sequence, mm-hmm. I was able to recognize Steed and Mrs. Peel. Oh, there you go. They're actually in the sequence, I believe, Napoleon Solo and Ilya Kiriakin also appear as, you know, little background characters. So those little throwaway moments are nice other 60s spy types mm-hmm. who might be there mm-hmm. would have been nice to see sean connery <laughs> this uh, series ran from 88 to 89 um yeah. so that's when it when it came out any any final thoughts rodrigo or deep ponderings about this about this series um definitely you can get into the series if you've seen a little bit of the prisoner i i would recommend the first couple episodes at least um you don't need to have seen the whole series although apparently i mean i know that there's stuff i missed because i didn't i haven't seen the whole series but it's important to note that you need to have seen the series to really get this i think um like some of it you can't just jump into this it is very much a sequel in the tightest sense of the word um it completely has 100 percent to do with the events of what happened there it's not like and now somebody else has the prisoner powers and this book is going to go on. It's, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's that it's, it's very much. And one happened then. And it, it, I think at its worst moments, it feels to me a little bit like fanfic, you know, it's like, here are these cool new characters that I came up with in the village. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not, that doesn't happen throughout the entirety of the book, but sometimes I felt like, this was kind of one person's, ooh, wouldn't it have been cool if the village was about this or if this was what this was about? Um, and because that's not necessarily what I thought the village was about, maybe it, uh, it, it didn't quite gel for me. Okay. I, you know, I'm not as familiar with the series as either the two of you are, but I was still able to follow along with what was going on in the story, and I kind of knew from previous discussions with Matthew and and listeners, if you've heard the show, you've heard the other discussions that I've been privy to about the prisoner. So I went in kind of knowing the key points and the key players and the key plot, some of the key plot elements of the story. So I found this fairly easy to follow along with. Um, And I enjoyed the story. I love the espionage part of it. And I love the fact that we're kind of taking the original series and seeing a lot of it being replayed in the, um, in this book. And overall, I thought it was an enjoyable story if, if you're into that kind of uh, espionage thriller. Matthew? Yeah, and if you've never seen The Prisoner, I think you could probably enjoy this as a story of a crazy old spy, mm-hmm. but there isn't a whole lot of explanation of who the crazy old spy was. Right. And because the nature of The Prisoner was about secrets and information... And the nature of this series is about, you know, secrets and information and not giving away all the secrets or even better, making the secrets not as important as the fact that they are secrets. 
again, what they know is not important. That they know it is important. Right. Uh, what it really does is it finally gives a closer to the closure to the character arc of number six. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this may have been written by a fan who was bothered that there was no ending, that there was no, and then, you know, this happened, you know, six died or six didn't die. But I think that there's also, uh, granted, I'm a fan of Dean Motter's from his work on Mr. X mm-hmm. back in the day. So I like the art style and I like how his art tends to be mutable, but mutable in a recognizable way. Not like I can't draw this the same way twice. It's more of a, it works better conceptually and contextually to have it look like this mm-hmm. to, you know, to have characters change and, and have these things happen. You can always tell who Lee is. You know, right, you can right, always right, right. tell who the characters are, even if the color palette is off or if things are a little funny. Part of it, I think, is the printing. Well, and that, frank. you know, we're looking at an old copy. I think all of us are looking at right. the um, one trade paperback that we passed around I mean, over the last couple of you weeks. Know, so I, I bought the issues. Yeah. You know, and I, that's one of the things that I was trying to remember because I do remember picking up. The first issue initially on the newsstand, and I don't yeah. remember if I had gone into my completest phase at that time, and I didn't have a chance over this last week to go into the uh, stacks upon stacks of, of stuff and see if I actually have all four of the original issues. I know I have I the first issue. So I don't think you know. No, I, I might. We'll, we'll have to look later. Rodrigo, give us an overall buy it, avoid it check it out or worth your time, you know, give us a final rating for this. I'd say right now, as of the recording of this show, hello, future people. Hello, um, future people. And, and you really should be drunk by now. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can go to AMC's website and watch every episode of the original series of The Prisoner. Go do that instead. Okay. I'm going to say... If you've never watched a single episode of The Prisoner, this book is probably not for you. Still an enjoyable read, but I can't say it's a must-buy or recommend if you're not familiar with the source material. Matthew? I would agree up to a point. I think Rodrigo's uh, recommendation is good. This is what actually introduced me to The Prisoner back in 88, 89. I'd never seen it because, you know, frankly, I only watched PBS for Doctor Who. And The Prisoner had been off the air for a while. But, you know, after reading this, I was like, WTH is going on here. And so I went to the to the Hayes Public Library and started seeking out the issues. And oddly enough, they had them. Yeah. And they had them, they had them on, I, I want to say, DVD. No, not then. It, VHS. <laughs> 1990 could have been, you don't know. No. Uh, <laughs> DVD didn't come out until like 95, 96. Oh, they were definitely DVDs. No. In any case, you know, we rented and we watched, and I was just like, what, what, what? So you know, it, ever since then, I've been kind of mulling this over and rolling it around in my head, and I think that Rodrigo is right. There's a fanfic element to this. But it's a it's kind of a loving fanfic. It's not a, a Mary Sue fanfic to me. It's kind oh, of yeah. a I want number six to have an ending. Damn it. Whether that ending makes any sense 
in the overall is not as important as the fact that this series is done by fans for fans with love. So if you're a fan or if you're interested in becoming a fan, definitely not a bad read. Okay. And I would definitely say that I don't care if the BBC finds this in continuity or not. I liked it as a, as a canonical you know story. And I think, you know, in what we've talked about before, Matthew, I think it does wrap up everything very nicely. Yeah. But if you're, again, if you're not a familiar with the source material, it's, going to be over many people's heads so well and you can think of it as personal continuity yeah maybe yeah, it too. didn't happen for everybody but it did happen for us yep that's true all right everybody that uh, just about wraps it up for this issue thank you so much for listening and being part of the major spoilers experience next week dun, dun, dun. what happens when spider-man tries to save gwen stacy from falling off the brooklyn bridge it's a one-shot discussion that you won't want to miss why because we know that Broke you love comics and we do too and we will talk with you next time. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page Would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew He kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Think about a better way If I was hulking green or gray I could just bust through that brick wall Take their comic books away But then the little meat would deal With all the tanks and bombs and guns Have you ever tried to read a series With all that going on Guess I need to rethink this plan How would I back and board my comics With such huge chance? Guess I already told ya What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Star Raven reads like a man of iron. I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the hard cold to follow an entire storyline. But would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fun be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler. Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2010.